I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Christopher Nee. Combined, we are two-thirds of On the Bench, but it's just going to be us as we preview FSU Wake Forest. I think, I think Josh is out on the game preview stuff, Chris. It's safe to say. No, own two starts will do that to a man. Um, yeah, that'll happen. Someone said, is my watch broken or did Brendan forget how to use YouTube? Why? What did I say? What did I do? I presume maybe they're referencing that we expected to start this earlier, that you provided time earlier. I said around 10, a little bit after 10, and then I jumped in at about 10 or 9.30, saying it was going to be closer to 10.30. Briley, calm down. Everything's fine. I apologize. My kid had very motley looking chops on the side of his head so we had to go get him a haircut so that's why i'm here now priorities little 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 carson knee cannot have mutton chops at eight years old it's just uh that's it's not, not bad a good look, look kid yeah bad look and a bad look on the parents too I, I will say you can't have your kid looking scruffy chris all right so i said everything will be okay i'm just saying that i don't know if everything's gonna be okay chris fsu is zero and two going up to wake forest uh they opened up as a five-point underdog I haven't checked where this where the line is right now, but FSU presumably still an underdog. Trying to avoid the first 0-3 start since I haven't looked it up, but I intend to before kickoff. Well, I was I was wrong when I said that FSU hadn't won a road game since 2018 on the last podcast. Or so 2017 on the last podcast, it was 2018. No, wait, 2019. Still wrong. Uh, against Boston College. Uh, Walk away from it, Sonoma. Walk away. No, I got this one right. This one's right. You can listen to me this time, I promise. FSU has not started 0-3 on the season since 1976, which would have been Bobby Bowden's first year. FSU started 0-3. 0-3 since then. So that's what FSU's up against. Mike Norvell and co. are trying to get this back on track. Uh, I I think – let's start there, Chris. Uh, Things – have the potential. I know they feel really bad right now at 0-2 after that JSU loss, but there's still potential for things to get even even worse if you go to 0-3, 0-1 in ACC play. Uh, we're talking about cultural stuff, questioning it internally. So uh, how big is the, how big is this game coming up for FSU to win? Well, this game was huge before the season ever kicked off. It's the first ACC game, so there's that component. Wake Forest is one of those teams that you view as potentially beatable, but also good enough to definitely beat you, even on a good day for your team. Um, you know, a lot of super seniors, very sound fundamental technique kind of team, knows who and what they are on both sides of the ball, does enough things effectively. They're going to post points. They're also probably going to give up some points, but the defense is capable of creating a stop here and there. Wake is a good ball club. When you're FSU and you're trying to stack, you know, we've used a number of half dozen victories quite often throughout the preseason and into the season. When you're that team, this is one of those games that feels like a swing game with that number. And it's ultra important. And then you add the component of the fact they're 0-2, so close to a big upset in week one, obviously a devastating loss in week two. It just adds to it. It further compounds the fact that I think there's a lot of pressure on this game. And FSU is not a football team that's done particularly well with pressure in recent years. And that's certainly a reason for concern before kickoff 
that gets us to a good starting point as we get into the the preview for this upcoming game. Pressure. You mentioned pressure. It's something that that Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham talked about at the press conference on Monday, how FSU didn't handle pressure particularly well on offense uh, in a 17-point effort against the division one uh, AA team. I guess they're FCS now, but I like one AA in my mind. Um, start off with the drop against with uh, the drop of the opening drive with Keyshawn Helton. What could be a walk-in touchdown on fourth down instead. Uh, yeah, turnover on downs. Next drive penalties. Uh, guys start pressing a little bit and start start trying to make something big happen instead of just being able to methodically move the ball down the field. And FSU's offense just looks more or less inept and discombobulated for the entirety of that game which is a far cry from what it was against Notre Dame, where you're able to to score pretty regularly. Even if it's on chunk plays, you're able to score a certain amount of points there that Notre Dame does not give up. So against Wake Forest here, uh, I think the starting point, Chris, is the quarterback usage. And we've seen two different starters through two games, Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis. Uh, first off, uh, Jordan Travis is still with the team. Twitter rumors uh, were not correct, shockingly. Were you shocked by that, Chris? No. <laughs> no, they were not. Uh, so Jordan Travis is around, is with the team. Now, Now I will say this, Jordan, uh, from, from what I can gather, and we weren't able to talk to Jordan this week, but he was frustrated. He was frustrated by his, his use and his role on, on Saturday, and I don't even think that's a matter of uh, starting or not. I think it's more of just you know, he gets eight snaps in the first half and uh, kind of in the, in the gadgety role the first drive, and then he gets three, three snaps, and it's a three and out as a quarterback a little bit later on in the first half. And that's all we really see from Jordan Travis. Chris, I'm really interested to see how the quarterback position kind of works itself out. Mackenzie Milton's listed as a starter on the depth chart. Um, but but do we see FSU? They were so adamant a week ago on saying both of them are going to have to help us this season and, and often in games. Do we believe that Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton dynamic has gotten closer to being figured out and worked out this week? Or is that still TBD for you? I think it's very TBD. Uh, I think they've gone a bit back to the drawing board each week and that second series of last week when they tried to put the two of them on the field together, obviously failed pretty miserably. And then the second half, Jordan Travis wasn't involved. And I'm not talking only on the field. I'm talking, he was not in the huddle central focus looked like a guy who was expecting to get back in the game. That wasn't the case. He was in the back of huddles, helmet off. I don't even think he was carrying his helmet if I remember correctly. So I don't know. It's a weird deal. I obviously expect them to go with Milton. Um, you know, he started on depth chart. He's a guy that's had more opportunity this week to prepare for this game. So I expect it to be him. Do I think Travis plays? Yeah, I think he gets in there in some form or fashion. Do I think it's in a similar fashion to last week? I don't, but I'm not sure how they're going to go about it. I don't know if it's one where you give him a series and it's solely him at quarterback. No two quarterback look out there at the same time. I'm not sure what they do. I'm very, this game you know, there's always uncertainty with college football games. There's always uncertainty with FSU because they've been such an inconsistent squad for so many years on top of each other now that it's kind of tough to say what you expect. I will fully admit with Wake Forest game, I don't know what the hell to expect with Florida mm-hmm. State. And that, a, that's in so same. many facets. It's in the response sense. It's in the what is the offense going to try to be. If I'm out there, I think the idea is you line up, you try to run the ball, you try to be effective with that set up play action, go for shot plays. And if you need some running from your quarterback position, more so than what Milton is able to provide or that you probably should put on that kid's shoulders, then you look to Travis as kind of that curveball changeup guy and you allow him to come in and do what he can do most effectively with his legs. Screw the whole idea of trying to make him into a great passer that they had hoped to do in the preseason with him being more effective in that setting. It hasn't translated in two games. 
let him go be the guy that he is, and that's a great athlete. But I don't know if that's what they'll do. And defensively, I'm interested to see how they respond after having such a miserable ending to a game with uh, the final two plays there, but especially that last play that everybody's going to remember for a long, long time. So there's a whole lot of just, I don't know. I'm very interested in Winston-Salem, what I'm thinking by. You're the the first person to ever say that. I'm very interested in Winston-Salem. No one's ever (laughs) said that before. But I I am by 4 p.m. I I think we're going to have a good idea of how this team is one going to respond to what they're trying to accomplish on the day. But at three going into 3.30 p.m., I don't know the answers to that. And I'm not yeah. going to sit here and act like I do. Yeah, I know it's not great radio or TV or broadcasting for us to say we don't know. But I think Chris and I are both in the same boat there where we are very or on the same bench, if you will, where we're very, very curious to see what happens this week. Practice, practice didn't exactly inspire me to believe that they're going to have a great response. Tuesday's practice, I will be totally honest and transparent with our listeners here. Tuesday's practice was the worst practice I've seen since they started allowing us to see full practices. Um, it just, it was sloppy. I didn't think either side of the ball was making plays, you know, especially through the air, there was drops. And when DBs were in position to make plays, they, they, they didn't make plays on the ball. Uh, I, I thought the coaches were by far the loudest and most demonstrative of, of the guys on the field, which some of that's always going to be the case with Mike Norvell is always going to be, be chirping. You're always going to hear the cor- cor- excuse me, the coordinators. Um, but after a week, like that against Jacksonville State, I was hoping to see a little bit more piss and vinegar, and and we didn't get that. And to me, that was concerning. Wednesday was better. Wednesday was better. And listen, practice last week, last week's Tuesday, was one of the crispest, most energetic back and forth days. The offense got the better of the defense that day, but both sides were playing the ball, were being aggressive, uh, and we saw what it led to. So practice may not always be the best way to judge what's going to happen later in the week, but. I I agree with you, Chris. I didn't love what I saw on, on Tuesday. It was it was disheartening, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't great. I mean, um, I don't really have much more to add. Uh, the only practice that I've seen recently that I left more discouraged with what the team was was one that we saw Tate and Chubba take a majority of snaps in the preseason, and their ability to value the ball was horrible. Who's getting dunked on in the background knee because I have a hoop hanging on the closet door in here. It's usually just my uh, oldest in here just throwing down, acting like he can uh, get off the ground. But I, I'd hate to break it to him genetically. He can't get off the ground. <laughs> He'll find that out in due time. Do you ever metumbo him? You know, uh-uh. No, 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 no. no, no. Those He'll are me. <laughs> uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about the quarterbacks. Uh, the offense as a whole, Chris, you mentioned finding the identity. I asked Mike Norvell about that yesterday, whether he feels like he has a sense of what this team's offensive identity is. He didn't really want to kind of tip his hand on what he thinks they're going to do, but he's like, yeah, I, I think I know what we do and what we do well. The the matter of not being in second and 15, third and 20, uh, no offense, regardless of your identity, is going to operate well. And that's true, right? That They, they are, when Ham and Kenny Dalingham talk about that, if you're living behind the chains constantly after first down, uh, that is going to limit what you can do. At the same time, I, I have concerns and questions about the personnel and and whether uh, after what we saw on on Saturday whether that the staff has a firm grasp on on the guys that of what they can do uh, well and what their weaknesses are and whether to go away from those weaknesses Lawrence Philly stands out uh, that usage uh, the sporadic usage of Jordan Travis that we talked about earlier comes to mind. Uh, we're still waiting to see where the wide receivers step up. We've got a couple of comments on that here on the uh, in the comment section of the video. Wide receivers are still very much so TBD. 
and you know, maybe we see some mixing and matching with with Darian Williamson, uh, more Malik McLean, uh, Ontario Wilson should be back in the fold this week. Uh, I don't know, Chris. I would just I would just try to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then build the play action off of it. You mentioned that earlier. Do you think FSU can do that though with with some of offensive line limitations that it's having at the moment? They've been effective at running ball. I think it's to the left side consistently this season. It might be left end or right end, but to the end, they've been a stronger team. Trayshawn Ward's very good at climbing that ladder when he gets over there. Jay Sean Corbin's running with authority. I thought that was very good. Um, I think they can, but yeah, I mean, to transition this conversation a little bit, it goes along with Nationwide Nolan. Any updates on Scott and Smith for this week? Strong about Robert Scott and Marie Smith. Marie Smith was unavailable last week. I think that's going to be the case again this week. Nothing indicated that it looked like he was ready to return. I think Robert Scott's probably a bit more of a game time decision type. He, uh, you know, he's a guy that we're not 100% sure what the element is, something we think lower extremity, but we're not positive. We never really got super good clarification on that. He never came out of a game and went to the tent and had to get really worked on. It was more came out, couldn't play anymore, sat on the bench type of deal for him last week when he came out of game. So I think it's a toss-up there. But, yeah, if they're missing those two guys, you're talking about Bavion at center and Brady Scott likely at one of the tackle positions, probably sliding Darius over and playing Brady in Darius's spot. That that makes you insanely razor thin. Um, you know, another injury at center, Darius Washington is probably sliding in there. You're probably and then playing it, it, and then that, it, hearing and sliding a guard out, or yeah. you're playing uh, Lloyd Willis at tackle, who's not ready for the live bullets. So yeah, the depth doesn't exist on the line. So they are they're living a life with that position group right now where they're one step away from it going from bad to just insanely worse. And that's gonna be a storyline over the next eleven weeks, ten games of this season. So yeah, that's a concern. Now, do they get beat up in this game? Don't know. Can't forecast that. And hopefully they do have Robert Scott that alleviates a little bit of that pressure. But that's a major concern. And if you don't have that, you can't run the ball. You can't protect. Your offense is kind of DOA. And we've seen that before here in recent years. And at the beginning of the season, we were we had some optimism of the offensive line taking the step to being average. Uh, but that was with the belief that you know, everyone would be healthy and available. And that just hasn't been the case for the offensive line. Pretty much all preseason camp and, and two weeks into the season. I think the ideal lineup they had going into the year has maybe been together we saw at the opening couple drives against Notre Dame and maybe a couple days before then that's it. They just, they've dealt with attrition. They dealt with injuries. Uh, you know, Dante Lucas, not, not developing in, in him departing from the team long run. Yeah. It's probably for the best a uh, short run and, and what the, that does. And I know he far from perfect has penalties, but what that does for your depth, you know, FSU started the season by saying what Chris seven or eight offensive linemen or eight or nine that they felt good about. I can't remember. I, I think we heard both uh, numbers thrown about seven, eight, eight, nine. Well, parameters. let's say, yeah, let's say it was nine. The truth was it was about seven. Yeah. And with Dante earning his pink slip and believe me, he earned it. It became six very quickly. And with two injuries, you know, I'm not trying to beg on a kid, but Brady Scott starting for you know, an offensive line isn't a good thing for that offensive line. Yeah, or Baby Ann Johnson being yeah. the only center that you have really uh, going into a game. One for him to be him to be the backup and or swing backup interior office alignment. It's another for him to be the the guardian between him snapping the ball and then someone who's never really snapped the ball, or then sometimes in practice um, being Darius Washington, and then that would be a tough spot for Darius to be in. So, yeah, there's concerns for the offensive line that we have, uh, not just for this week against Wake Forest, but if they can't to be that beat up this early into the season two games in is 
is difficult. I don't know how else to to put that or articulate it. It is concerning. Um, no, the one thing you can do to alleviate some of that pressure on the offensive line is going more jumbo, more heavy with multiple tight ends out there. And we saw them do that at times in the first two games. And they ran with success in such sets. So I think that's something we might see more of. Yeah. Go, go Wildcat, I, I don't think maybe. Wildcat's going away. Go a little Wildcat. We all know I'm such them. a big fan of the Wildcat. But I don't think that's going away, and I don't think they're going to simplify the offense. I don't think they're going to take a micro view with the offense or anything they truthfully do. I think they're going to stick with a macro view of what they're trying to be ultimately and that tune what they are and what they're trying to do. But the offense will be better if they just stop self-sabotaging. Every game, all the time, for years now, sabotage has been their biggest issue. You can't have the pre-snap penalties. You can't have guys hidden behind the line of scrimmage. You can't have two guys lined up at the same place. Those kind of things are boneheaded, idiotic mistakes that cannot continue to persist, and they have to be gone. And people are like, well, you play different people. They don't really have other options. I, I, yeah. I often find myself invoking that comment on the message board and in discussions. They don't have the depth that they can utilize to reinforce things by benching people. They just simply don't have that at some spots. There's not enough reliable people at certain spots, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Which can be a pretty big motivator sometimes. If you lack that as a coaching staff, that that limits you of what you can do. I wrote about the other day, Chris, like some some guys, skill players, I would like to see a little bit more of. Doesn't mean I need to see them all the time. Just they're used to jump up a little bit. I mean, I feel like we're already kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of like your options and your hope for breakout guys or, or people who can kind of elevate their play quickly and mature to a point where you can play them regularly or at a higher rate than you do now. I we're already two games in the season talking about that. And then I think yeah. that's, that explains where FSU is in its development. You know, the, the hope that we had some best case scenario working out with the wide receivers, like Andrew Parchment being an engaged, really uh big play explosive, even if he was going to be someone who was going to have big games and then be quiet through two games, he's been pretty quiet and has not been very good blocking sure. downfield. Um, Kentron's a, a big play yeah. guy who, who you know, hasn't, I, done hasn't done much. He may get some more run. Um, Darren Williamson is someone I like. I think we'll see more of him. But man, you're just you're limited with with what you have on offense, and uh, the staff is going to have to be creative. Uh, and I think that's why you're going to see you know throughout the season Jordan Travis used in different ways, whether you like it or not. That that's probably something that is a part of this offense. That's why you're going to see the Wildcats. You have to find different ways to matriculate the ball. You may not well, be a fan of it. Toe Philly too. Yeah, because he, he can because he's capable of chunk plays. Of chunk plays, and they have to live off of chunk plays because sustaining drives isn't something that they do very well right now. I, um, I think it, it's worth. I know me and you have had that discussion this week. It, we're not hating on Lawrence Toe Philly. He's one of the more talented guys on this right. football team, especially offensive skill wise. The issue is the usage of Toe Philly at the late stage of that game last week seemed short-sighted i guess is a good term to use it seemed comparatively forced. yeah comparatively to using jay sean corbin who is your best offensive player through two games to that point and your mm-hmm. best running back and a guy that is willing to bang and try to get a couple extra yards here and there has shown the willingness to do that to wear down the clock so you're you're going away from corbin using toe philly who seemed like your third option versus your first and you got ward in the middle that seemed weird the idea of using Toe Philly is not a bad one. It's a matter of when and where and how you use them. That I think was the issue that I know I had, I think you had, and I think a lot of fans had as well pertaining to that subject. I had Pete just point out that Jay Sean Corbin is 15th nationally in rushing yards. I think he's even higher, Pete, in, in yards per carry after contact. Yeah. I think he's fourth nationally. So he's someone who had – and part of that is I think that 89-yard touchdown run where he, he broke uh, 
broken arm tackle and, and gets a ton of that yardage after there. But still, point being is that he does break tackles. He moves the pile situationally is what we're going back to last week against Jacksonville State. And I know we don't want to rehash a lot of Jacksonville State. There was some questions about the the personnel you were using in the situations. I don't have a problem with, with Lawrence hopefully getting the ball 10 times a game. I think that's smart for FSU to continue to try to find creative ways to get him the ball because he is someone who's capable of, of being a game breaker, whether it's as a running back or as a receiver. He has that potential, and I think you have to continue to, to use it and utilize it. Um, I'm all here for Chris. Uh, put Lawrence Tofilly in the Wildcat. Let him break a 99-yard touchdown run uh, on first and ten from your own one, and then Kenny Dillingham just going degeneration style. Uh, you know, you like using the word Wildcat just to try to trigger me. It does work. I'm a Triggered. Dolphins fan. I'm a Dolphins fan. We love that thing. But it's time to move on. That's not going anywhere. Sorry to say to you, sir. Um, and, and I kind of understand it. I'm going to repost your article so you can get more downvotes. <laughs> Did you downvote it? Uh, actually, no, I don't think so. I, I think I took pity on your soul. I knew the others would handle it for us. <laughs> All righty. So switching to the defense. And yeah, the defense did what it was supposed to do for a majority of last week. Uh, however, the final couple drives and especially that last play is going to be a toughie and one that we will probably never forget. Where's um, my dude from Notre Dame week that said that third and 17 was the worst call ever because, hey, man, you got one up last week. <laughs> that's what happens when you're hyperbolic. When you're hyperbolic, it doesn't leave room for there to be more. And and there was something you that was worse wait. than third and 17. <laughs> Whether it was a cover two man under or a cover one robber or just guys not getting the play in, it happened. It happened. It could have even if the play call was bad, which was not a good play call. Uh, regardless of what it was, uh, you, you need to be back further. The players have to make a play as well. Jarvis Brownlee, I will give him a ton of credit. He came, faced the music, fessed up, stood in front of media members uh, with with cameras on him, and and said, "You know, big time players need to make big time plays." I didn't do that. He pointed to not finishing plays in a similar scenario in practice and not learning from that and not coming back and buying him in the ASS is what he said. Um, he's obviously someone who is going through a difficult time and losing his, his godfather. Uh, that was tough for him to find out the day of the game, I believe. Someone who was, who was a mentor and he was close to. I don't think that helps anything. Uh, he's someone who didn't have a great week earlier on and maybe didn't take care of what he was supposed to do during the week. So I give I give Jarvis credit for coming through and saying this is what didn't happen on the play. This is what I need to do. I messed up. I need to be better. Credit. Now the next step is what, Chris? Now the defense and general and Jarvis they have to to they're talking the talk. Now you have to walk the walk and uh, hopefully come out pissed off and aggressive on Saturday. Yeah, you, you got to play better as a whole. Defensive backs have to locate the ball. It's been a massive issue two weeks in. It's. Very simple with the defense. It's just time to be a better unit consistently. And they were better against Jacksonville State, but they did allow three extremely lengthy drives, including one that they completely assisted with penalties and another one where they just couldn't get off the field. And then, you know, six seconds, 59 yards to go, and you give it up. Like, you got to protect that that chalky line in the back. You got to – you don't let that happen. But that's not solely on the players either. It takes It takes – many parties to have the monumental mess up that we saw on Saturday. Um, 
On defense, I, mean, I think we're going to be interested to see does the defensive line continue to set the tone and play the same energy it has through two games. A, a big variable for this game, and I know it seems kind of minute in the grand scheme of things, but Kalen Deloach has been your best linebacker through three games. He's played the most of any linebacker you've had. He's been the one you can trust to be on, every, on the field every down. Uh, he's made hustle plays in both games. You had to, to hustle down and, and knock the punt out to the one-yard line. Uh, this past weekend was great, and that followed up the him hustling on that third and 17 screenplay that Chris alluded to earlier against Notre Dame. He misses the first half against Wake Forest uh, because of a, a targeting penalty that I thought was iffy against Jacksonville State in the second half. So now you're without your most versatile and, and your every down linebacker through two games. Yeah, that, to me, so is an underrated part of, of what we're going to see on, on Saturday. Gainer, Lundy are probably your first two men up if you're playing a two-linebacker set. If you're playing three, then you're probably throwing dicks out there or maybe Green McKnight or even bringing somebody like a Brendan Gant down a little bit more or Robinson down a little bit more acting as almost a linebacker instead of a safety type or a nickel type. Um, yeah, it's concerning. And Wake's the kind of offense that they will, with that slow mesh and what they do and with pulling it and popping it, you know, if your linebackers get caught or too aggressive or get caught flat-footed, man they'll make you pay wake is very very good at exploiting what you're not doing well Let's daniel see. cronin right heard of three dbs that were in discipline jerseys aka orange jerseys the other day at practice won't ask for names but did you guys see that yes we did and should there be any worry about the buy-in still or did it seem non-worrisome i would worry about it but i think jarvis brownlee to some degree kind of gave you the context clues on that situation when he spoke with the media yesterday so if you did not listen to that interview feel free to go back and listen to it it is concerning. You don't want guys in orange. They weren't the only three players this week to wear orange. It was just a matter of three guys who are fairly significant pieces of this football team wearing it is a bit concerning. The orange jersey is not so much for doing something wrong in a game. It could be, but it usually is not. It's more for something related to a meeting or living up to a standard of what's expected of you in the sense of doing your daily routine, doing what's expected in film study, team meeting, being on time showing up the way you're supposed to show up to work, those kind of things. That's more where the orange jersey comes from, just to clarify that for people. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, people have been asking. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into too much details on it. I think there's context clues to where you can go ahead, and if, if you're paying attention, you can figure it out for yourself. It's not the end of the world. Uh, the team does need to be more engaged throughout the week, and I think what happened with that only furthers kind of, only further leads to this belief that FSU wasn't super dialed in for Jacksonville State. I think that's the the concern that you have moving forward is culturally our guys where they where you thought they were, where you thought this team was about to turn the page, do you let your foot off the gas a little bit? Yeah. I I appreciate Brownlee speaking as you already spoke on mm -hmm. the fact that he stepped up and did have that conversation. I also appreciate that I felt like he was very honest about things. The more concerning part of his comments beyond that play, and obviously that play is extremely disappointing, one that's not going to be easily forgotten, was the practice-related comments. Yeah. Yep. To say you, that you I had messed up play the practice, practice a lot yep. of times. And, you know, he kind of owned up to that to his credit. But at the same time, he now understands, like, it's important. And I hope the other people that were part of that party understand that as well. I thought that was the most telling, the two comments he had about executing the play and, and um, some mistakes had come up in practice, translating over to that moment in the game on Saturday and then not doing the things, maybe as the DB group as a whole, not doing what they needed to do the week of practice to be dialed in and as focused and as detail-oriented as they need to be. Uh, 
we'll see. Like as we transition here, start talking about Wake Forest a little bit. Saturday against Jacksonville State could be the. I mean, it is the low point for the program right now. It's the one in modern football. I was covering me covering FSU since 2013. It's the lowest point that that there's been in covering FSU. This is rock bottom. We joke about it all the time. This is as rock bottom as we get for now. We'll see. Dust if, it if, off, Snow. If it could be trumped at all, but all right. So, can it be a turning point? Can it be something that this was your your rock bottom and you end up? doing some soul searching, looking in the mirror and say, I don't want to live this life and um, need to be better than this as, as players, as coaches, program as a whole. We'll see that. That's what I think is going to be so interesting. And the reason why people are not completely checked out yet of this program. And, and that is apathy is the next step. We saw that at the end of the Willie tenure. We saw that at times in Jimbo's tenure, even when they were rattling off 10 wins, the way they were out of the playoff picture early in the season. Um, led to apathy. Apathy is the worst thing that can happen to a program. Uh, it was rejuvenated under Mike Norvell, especially at the start of this season with the recruiting class they'd put together, the transfers they had added, the performance they put together against Notre Dame, even in a loss. It was sky high. There was optimism. And then for it to go rock bottom. Saturday's coming up. Chris and I have already said we don't really know what we're going to see from this team from a response standpoint. Uh, they've been preaching response all week in practice. They've been preaching, oh, hey, we – all preseason response, finish, uh, climb, all the other all keywords. It sometimes it resonates and, and sometimes it hasn't. Uh, they have been very, very keenly aware if they are just a couple of plays away from being two and oh, but instead they're oh and two. Uh, as we go into this Wake Forest game, Chris, what concerns me, and I'm going to ask you to dust off your 247 on Wake Forest here. What concerns me is that Wake Forest, yeah, they're two and oh, uh, they haven't played great teams. Old Dominion's a low tier FBS team. They played, I can't even remember the FCS team, William and Mary. Oh, it was Norfolk State. State. All right, somewhere up in the Virginia area. Um, I don't feel great going into this game for the reason that, yeah, from an athlete standpoint, even though you aren't where you want to be by any means as a program, you're still probably going to be better than Wake Forest from an athlete-to-athlete standpoint. But Wake Forest is so well coached by Dave Clawson, and they have a steady quarterback who doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. Wake Forest doesn't really beat itself a ton. And FSU hasn't really shown consistently in years now that I can consistently make teams pay for for basically forcing you to beat them. Uh, we saw even against Jacksonville State, Mackenzie Milton was asked to throw a bunch of little short passes over and over again, ends up biting FSU in the butt. So, Chris, with that in mind, Wake Forest, uh, what are you seeing from them? What do our, our listeners and, and readers at Knowles 24-7 need to be aware of? Well, as you said, they're 2-0, 42-10 overall Dominion, 41-16 over Norfolk State. In both of those games, those teams played sort of keep away. Uh, Wake's only averaged about 24 minutes with the ball in the two games. So, you know, Wake's offense is very tempo-ridden, very fast. That slow mesh is aggravating. Hartman's good at pulling and running if he needs to. Also got Christian Bill Smith <clears throat> is their primary back, but they got a couple backs they can rely upon. And then the Roberson kid at wide receiver is an excellent football player, arguably the best receiver in the league, not named probably Justin Ross um, or maybe Zay. Zay's pretty good too. But Roberson's super consistent. I think six straight with a touchdown might even be seven straight at this point. I believe he led the league in yards per game last year. Um, Pete's asking about the receivers. In addition to Roberson, they have A.T. Perry. He's a sophomore, redshirt sophomore. He's a six foot five, 206 pound outside guy. Kind of just a mismatch. They're going to throw some up to him. You got to go up there and get it. Obviously, big catch radius comes with being six foot five. And then Keyshawn Williams is a pretty talented freshman for them. 
He's got one touchdown so far in a year, six receptions, 56 yards. Pretty dynamic kid that can do a little bit of stuff. And their backs can also catch it out of backfield. And Hartman, uh, the best thing about Hartman is he values the football extremely well. He's 35 of 52 on a year, 432 with four passing touchdowns. He's a capable runner, but I wouldn't exactly call him a dual threat. But he is capable of beating you with his legs if he has to take it. He's excellent at running that system. The thing about Wake that makes him so dangerous is a lot of super seniors. I think they got nine, if I recall correctly. They've got a lot of veteran guys on that team, a lot of guys who have had a lot of reps, a lot of guys who have had a lot of play. Something Clawson has tried to do intentionally over recent years is play a lot of players so they develop good depth. And they probably have the best depth they've had in his time at Wake Forest with this current team. That's always a concern. Defensively, they're not big. They're not flashy. They don't have a dude like Jesse Bates that they had a few years ago in secondary who was a stud. Luke Masterson is a linebacker. He's a true kind of like Mike type. He's going to be an enforcer, going to get guys down to the ground, going to plug holes, going to do what you expect. they got enough up front that they can bother you. They're going to be aggressive, but they don't have a Carlos Basham up there like they had last year, guy who I love who's now playing on Sundays. But they're completely capable on the defensive side of the ball. They've racked up, I believe, it's three interceptions on the year. They haven't been very good at poking the ball loose so far, but they will try to do that. That's something they traditionally try to do as a defense is being very aggressive at creating turnovers. They were one of the better teams in the country last year or two years ago. I can't remember for sure which one it was at doing that. Um, but they don't they don't shoot themselves in the foot. They're like the polar opposite of FSU in that regard. FSU loves racking up penalties. It seems like they're great national pastime at this point. And Wake Forest ranks 120. Or I'm sorry, that's the time of possession. Let me find the exact stat on penalties again. You're looking for right. no, or yeah, I have it up here. Wake it's Forest penalties. Yeah. So through two games. Three penalties, 32 penalty yards per game is their average. Whew. FSU, on the other Top hand, is 100. FSU is 121st nationally with 84 penalty yards per game, or 10 penalties per game, and they have 84 penalty yards per game. And going back to the offensive side of ball and Hartman being able to do his job, part of the reason for that, and it's tough to judge this stat, and I think FSU will have much more success against this stat than the stat makes you think they will. They've only allowed two sacks and seven tackles for loss, 3.5 per game through the first two games. Some of that's the opponents they play. I think Jermaine's going to be able to do some of what he does best. I think here Thomas, those interior guys are going to, they're going to be able to enforce their will a little bit up at the front. But the problem is Wake also kind of wants you to be aggressive with that slow mesh. If you're getting in there and lanes are opening, they're going to pull and run. Or if a backer's crashing down and a guy's running behind them, hard slant underneath the safety, they're going to take it. Or if they got the one-on-one outside, once in a while they're going to go for it. They're all about basically when somebody's eyes play a trick on them, not eye candy necessarily, but basically the idea of I need to crash or they freeze or they hold for a second, that's what they're going to – they attempt to exploit, and they're pretty dang good at it. All right. Briley asks, with the way y'all are talking, the line sounds way off. Any thoughts on why Vegas has this so close? I think part of that is Wake has a tendency to sometimes – keep games tighter than they have to be. Wake, Wake's a weird team. Sometimes it gets rolling downhill and it's an avalanche effect. They'll run away with it. They'll rack up points or tempo will kick the other team's butt. You know, it very quickly put 14 up on the board because they score, get it back, score immediately, change this whole, whole tune of the game. But sometimes because their defense isn't great by any stretch, their defense is definitely one you should be able to go out and score points against. You sometimes get in a bit of a dogfight type match and it, you know, it's a game played in the 30s, high 20s for the two teams, or even 40s, mid-30s. They have that tendency. So I think that's why that line stayed around. I think it's five at last check. It's 
been around six and a half to five, I think, since it opened. That's why I think it stayed in that touchdown realm. FSU can beat Wake. I wholeheartedly believe the heck. I'm even, and I'm not making a prediction on this show, so now don't you make me do it. What? I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I've tossed around actually even picking FSU, despite no. the fact that I have a great deal of a lack of confidence in FSU because of the inconsistencies of the last two weeks. Because I do think Wake is very beatable. But if FSU plays poorly, Wake will whoop them. Mm-hmm. It's one of those weird games where I feel like they can win just as easily get blown out. Yeah, yeah, we'll get some predictions at the end. Possession game, either way, type of game. I mean, it could be that too. It could be I literally anything across the board. I don't know this if I would be surprised radio. by it. It could be this. <laughs> it could be that. It could be somewhere in the middle. All right, let's go. You know what is great radio? And I know you want to do buy or sano. And I know buy or sano. Get it out of your system. I'm buying that all day. I'm also not for sure. Bye, baby, bye. I am synoning it, but not. No. I'm going to synone it. I'm definitely synoning that. Ig synone. I'd buy that. Yeah! <laughs> I synone both of you. You can't out-synone us. We're doing a little buyer synone. Buy this segment is going to die because you are allowing the fans to do it. I buy This, this whole segment's I, deteriorating. All right, so we're going to go down the line of what uh, most of our Unconquered subscribers uh, have asked. They get first priority because they're paying to ask these questions. But if you're here watching and, and listening, feel free to add it. Oh, Jerry Rod said don't say it. He doesn't want you to say that the FS is going to lose. If you have questions, feel free to ask him here or on the YouTube stream. Or does he not want to pick him win? Oh. Uh, J-Rod, uh, elaborate for us. All right, by Orsonone. Here we go. I'm not going to start with that one. That's not a good one. All right. TD12 asks, Byer Sinone, we see JTREF and KZ on the field together at any point versus Wake Forest. I'm Sinone. I don't think they do it again this week. Uh, I'm here for – I'm going to say bye. Kenny Dalingham finds the, the closest camera, does the Degeneration X-style suck it deal, and uh, and says, how you like me now? Uh, Byer Sinone from Tampa Knoll, 776. FSU – as of right now, FSU wins five games or more this season. I'd probably Sinone it. I'd push it if I could take it. But since I got to do buy or Sinone, yeah. I guess I'm Sinoning it because I think five is the cap at this point. Yeah, we were in the five to six win range preseason of kind of going back and forth there, which was the Vegas line had. And that made sense on paper. And I think I settled at six, uh, but Jacksonville State was a win for me. And if you can lose to Jacksonville State, you can lose to anyone. So I'm Sinoning that as well as of right now what we have. Uh, ATL no 88 buyers gnome. Brendan has another player's mom, Adam on Twitter before seasons end. Awesome. Known it. Uh, that's a hard buy for me. I am a lightning rod for controversy, despite being very vanilla TD 12 asks buyers known. Chris has become a big fan of the wildcat by season's end. I am knowing that. <laughs> what, uh, what would, uh, Jay Ross said, don't pick them to win is what, what he asked for. What <laughs> would it take for you to be, become a fan of the Wildcat? Because they ran the hell out of the Wildcat. Uh, I'll, I'll never be a fan. I don't like the Wildcat, buddy. I, I, I don't, it's not FSU thing with the Wildcat. I definitely don't like how FSU is used, and I definitely don't like the effectiveness of it this year for FSU. I don't like the Wildcat. I don't, if you've got a quarterback capable of scrambling, you do not need to line up in the Wildcat and be cute with it. What you're trying to effectively do, which is cause a counting issue, you can do with a scrambling quarterback just as easily. All right, I got one from our from people listening live on YouTube here. Michael Steven asks four losses by more than four touchdowns this season by Orson Own. 
Sononi for now because I don't think they're going to wave the white flag and quit. But, you know, ask me that one after they lose on Saturday and it might start gravitating that direction. That's definitely a concern. I mean, we've seen that in recent years. This group hasn't looked like they're ready to quit. We got that feeling in past years from other teams the last two years, but this team hasn't yet reached that point. But, I mean, obviously it's a concern. If they start 0-3, I mean, they're basically playing the loser-leave-town game with Louisville in a week. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, that has potential. A big drip, no ass, Byers Snow, Mike Norvell being able to prevent the football team from quitting this season. It's kind of the same question. We don't have to go over that big drip, no, but that is very much so on the table is, is we're going to be closely monitoring how – how Mike Norvell's culture, Mike Norvell's culture, excuse me, uh, has kind of settled in throughout this program. Like, is there enough buy-in? You know, we talked about the uh, the transfers and kind of this mercenary mentality that you have that could be good or bad, depending on how things unfold, in addition to having to do a ton of a, a roster overhaul the last two uh, off-seasons. You know, this is more than a, a 50% new roster in a two-year span. So we'll see. We'll say to that. Um, Chris, three, 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 aspires to know if Fuller isn't retained, FSU hires from within the program. So at the Adam Fuller defensive coordinator, I'm going to go Sonone. I don't think there's anyone that you promote internally. If the guy at the top isn't getting it done, Chris, what say you? I'd lean towards Sonone. I think, I think FSU has to get very serious about hiring coordinators next time they are in that position. Yeah. And Adam Fuller's allowed to turn things around. He's allowed to, to keep his job. Um, that, that is allowed to happen, but, but there does have to be improvement from what we've seen right now. Chris three through three also has buyers to know this fan base might be more fragile than our actual players. Woo! Coming out with the heat, I, I, but I, I'm synoning that the the fan base still supports a program that hasn't been very good in several years, and I love that fact. They should, especially if it's your alma mater. Love your plays, whether they're winners or losers. Love it, and I feel that way personally. But, man, it's frustrating. It is not enjoyable, and it's not necessarily just losing. It's a matter of how they go about losing so often. The sideshow factor that's existed for years, it's not enjoyable. It's not. There's always – they can't just lose. You have to have a turnover backpack. You can't just lose. There has to be a proposal on the sideline yeah. after the loss. It just it, – it is entertaining. I will say that FSU does make it entertaining, win or lose. There is something to be said for that. I, I walked into this year expecting FSU to have to fight their rear ends off to win six games. That, we that were, was my personal expectations. And I would have been perfectly fine with it if it seemed competitive at all times, all out effort at all times, and it was how the chips felt. That wasn't Saturday. No, Saturday felt so self-inflicted. I mean, we talked about this the other day, Chris, uh, when we were just watching practice. Like We were so looking forward to – seeing this team kind of figure itself out. And even though we knew that was going to come with games where they probably just didn't look very good and didn't have it that day, uh, we were looking forward to seeing that that gradual climb, that clawing to try to get to six wins. Like, we were looking forward to it. That could be fun uh, to see to see growth incrementally and to cover it. And that just got – that life got sucked out of us, like just covering the team, I feel like, after after last week's performance. Um, but again, FSU's allowed to win. They're allowed to turn things around. There's nothing that says you can't go ahead and, and upset Wake on the road this weekend. And, yes, it is an upset. You are you're our favorite to lose currently. It's allowed to happen. I'll read J-Rod 31's here. Byers and own. If FSU is 0-3, Jermaine Johnson starts to think about opting out, packing it up and opting out. So no one took the question away before I could finish. Sorry, I realized I did it. That's the kind of host he is. There it is. It's back again. He starts to think about prepping for the draft and opting out. That's uh, the way J-Rod finished. I was going to take it away from you again. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually I 
brought this exact topic up to somebody yesterday. I don't think it happens at 0-3. I think he would like to play a couple more high-quality opponents. You know, I'm thinking Clemson, UNC, Miami, those types. You know, get into a little bit more meat of the back half of the schedule, put some more good film out there. But if statistically he's at a certain place and he has good film against two, three quality opponents, I mean, that's a trend in college football. I don't want to speak for the kid. I don't get the feeling he's that tight necessarily who's already gone there mentally. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least, no. Yeah, I was talking about that with someone yesterday as well. And and he still needs to put up good film, you know. I he So to your point, Chris, like, yeah, there has to be at least a few more games. But this isn't someone who entered the year as a surefire NFL draft pick. He's someone who had the upside to be like as early as like a second round draft pick. And hell, he's, he's shown that through two games to where – uh, if he goes and tests well, uh, you know, Janarius Robinson and, and Joshua Kando can get drafted in the fourth round with the production they've had. Uh, if Jermaine Johnson tests well, then why couldn't he be drafted on, on day two, which is the second or third round? Um, but it's there needs to be a little bit more of a body of work is what I'm going to say. He's passionate. I mean, he's he's for a guy whose investment is only essentially eight months into this program at this point. Mm-hmm. He cares immensely. Saturday really bugged him. It bugged him in the post game. It bugged him on social media afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, he cares. Some of the, I know we call transfers essentially mercenaries, but truthfully, some of those guys are the most invested guys in this program. Not all of them by any stretch. No, but I would say but, he is certainly one of them. Kier Thomas McKin- has been McKinsey, one of his teammates. McKenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton. That comes to mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. No, we that's need your- others like Andrew Parchment to catch up. Jamie Robinson uh, needs yeah. to to do more. Um, Marcus Kushney, you know, hasn't really been a factor through two games. I don't know if it's an effort thing for him. I just say he hasn't really caught up to this level of speed of game yet. Um, but I would, and I guess one of the games was against an FCS opponent. But regardless, uh, those guys happen to be the face of your program. They happen to be the leaders, Mackenzie Milton, Jermaine Johnson, Kara Thomas. And their effort and, and their practice habits have been where they need to be. Uh, that's really what you're hoping on at hoping for at this point is for those guys to be the ones who can kind of bring you out of this, that can help elevate the younger guys who you believe in that believe in Mike Norvell and kind of be leaders by example, vocally. Um, yeah. That's what, that's what you're hoping for. So I don't have any indication that Jermaine's checking out or anything like that right now. It certainly doesn't seem like it. Agent. Um, I'm not going to agent KOK asks buyer Sinone. Norvell going two and O to start conference play would be better for the program than if Norvell had beaten Notre Dame and Jacksonville State, um, but and then lost to Wake Forest or, or Louisville. Uh, so, so would you rather trade that off, Chris? Would you rather take the last two weeks as, they, as they've materialized and trade that for wins against Wake Forest and Louisville? No, because you just as easily could have started two and own conference and not lost to an FCS opponent. And there is the Notre Dame win would be the best of any of the wins of these first four games, and the worst loss is last weekend in that scenario so you would avoid that if you lost a wake forest and Louisville. still the idea of trying to get the six and six the hope was that it would be ballpark four and one after five games or three and two at worst mm-hmm. three and two is the at best scenario now yeah regardless uh no blooded two 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 five two five buyers known travis hunter ends up at fsu we've got a lot of questions people are worried about travis i'm hunter. buying it he loves marcus woodson he wants to be here he's still a guy that's very vocal about the class now if it keeps going sideways and downhill who knows we've seen this movie before but I, that kid it's going to take an immense amount of things for him to change his mind in my opinion he is a kid that is fully bought in and has an unbelievably strong relationship with his position coach slash recruiter. 
Yeah, it would take an awful lot of things to change for Travis Hunter to not be a part of this class. Um, would like to see you not lose Jacksonville State, though, as, as part of building up some goodwill with him. South Florida, Noel asks, Byers to three or more guys in the portal before the Miami game. Are we including Dante Lucas, who's not technically in the portal yet? Probably not, right? Yeah, I presume they mean three additional ones. Uh, so Miami um, game is what, early November? November 13th, I believe. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, and three is a good number, too. Three or more, so it can be three. You know what? I will buy. I think there might be a little bit more shakeout, especially coming off of the bye week in time to kind of reevaluate things for everyone. I'll buy it. What about you, Chris? I'll have known it for now, but I think three is a phenomenally good number. It is. It's a really Get a good job line in Vegas, my sir. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. It's another question about uh, the figure it out and wildcat questions. Oh, man, people are so angry about the wildcat. I love it. Uh, oh, here's a good one, Chris. Mursad asked Byers to know penalties have a bigger impact on our ability to win than drop passes do. I'd agree with that because we get in situations where we have to throw because of the penalties. <clears throat> if you take away the penalties, you're in more situations where you can potentially run or at least run something that's much more uh, conceivably able to be converted. Uh, so buyer Sinone answered the question. I'm buying it. Correctly. I'm okay. buying it. I, I think the, the penalties are the most damaging thing to FSC's offense currently. Among a bevy of issues, it is the most damaging. They can't play second and long and third and long. They can't survive that. Most teams no. can't. This team certainly can't. Certainly they can't. don't have enough number one receivers. Heck, I'm not sure they have enough number two receivers to get away with that. And they their offensive line tight end. is it what it is. enough offensive line. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Broderick, Byerson, we are more likely to be two and ten or six. Well, wait, uh, let me change it. So if Why do you call Byers him Broderick Snone? Did I say Broderick Snone? Because I'm looking at Byerson. I'm sure. Broderick, Broderick, we're related. Sorry. Uh, Byerson, we are more likely to be two and ten than six and six. I think it's more likely to fall in the middle of those two, but. Since Broderick wants me to pick one, I guess I'm buying on. I'll go six and six. I would buy that too. Uh, people, go back. Byers Sinone. I called Broderick Broderick Sinone. Told you. No, I'm asking for people to confirm it for us here. Uh, let's see. Since Hayes all good is asked a couple times, Byers Sinone. Adam Fuller calls a complete game against Wake. I don't know what that means. Like, uh, like he doesn't get taken out of the game. He's like a complete game pitcher. Is that what we're asking? I mean, I'll go by, but Wake is one of those that even makes really good DCs look bad. I have to say that when we started previewing the Wake game, Chris, the views dropped on to like 70 people watching this, and it was at about 90. And then once we started doing Byers Sinone, I'm not saying that people love it, but it, it's been flirting with 100. Oh, no, that's below 90. Oh, God. We became self-aware. They checked out. They checked out fast. All right. Apathy so, is setting in. <laughs> right in front of our eyes. What we're going to do here is we're going to do a Wake Forest prediction. I will make a prediction. Chris may or may not. We'll see. <laughs> what I'm going to ask for you guys to do is to go ahead, throw in your predictions. I'm going to throw them up here onto the computer screen so everyone can see what you guys are predicting for Saturday's game. Real while quick. Chris rambles on about – so get that in there while Chris is going to ramble on about his favorite topic. Go ahead, sir. No, real quick, Byers known for you. FSU okay. – is more likely to win 31 to 27 or lose 45 to 21. That's an awful way to ask the question. Um, 
Sunone. Wait, no, again, the way you asked it. You, you have to pick it. one or the other, which is more likely, <laughs> a four-point victory or a 24-point loss? 24-point loss. All right, I'm going to start throwing up your guys' stuff. Chris, go ahead, tell, talk a little hoops, and then we'll make our predictions. Well, all I was going to mention about hoops, last night the women's ACC schedule got dropped. Tonight the men's ACC schedule get dropped. I believe it's 7 p.m. on nothing but net on the ACC network. <clears throat> it will be around 7.30 p.m. that the FSU release should come out with that. So we'll finally know the entire FSU men's basketball schedule for this season, just in time for them to actually play the games. Is that a little late to be announcing that, Christopher? I believe, yeah, I think in past years it's been – well, last year doesn't include because last year was so whacked out. But I think usually it's very, very start of September, late August usually. All right, let's do predictions. I've been throwing them up here. Got some confident FSU fans here. Got some not-so-confident ones. Uh, that's to be expected. I will throw mine out first. Broderick Sinone, what do you got? What do you got? Yeah, FSU. Uh, let's see. Brad, 31, FSU. All right, so here's going to be mine, Chris. I, like you, would not be surprised by any outcome that occurs. I can see FSU winning by multiple scores. I can see FSU losing by multiple scores. I can see a close game. I hope if it is a close game that Ricky Aguayo isn't asked to kick a field goal into the rain because that would just lead you to probably being fired after your very next loss. What? Did I say that? Yes, I did. That's exactly what happened. Uh, I will go with – I just I, Wake Forest at home. I think Wake is a more consistent team. We know more what to expect from them, so I will go with what's safer. Wake Forest, 38. FSU 27. Wow. Bell on 27. That's that. Oh, 20... Dustin. Oh, I thought he had the same score as me. Dustin almost had the same exact score. I'm going, and I may change this in my prediction piece because I truthfully have gone very much back and forth all week. I'm going to go wait 31, FSU 27. Oh, I thought you were going to do the FSU upset. We'll wait for you to change it in the prediction piece. Yeah, it might be FSU 31, wait 27, the prediction piece. Do you want to change the score for us before we get out of here? No, I'm no. 31.7 okay. is my score. I just got to figure out which team I'm putting before each number. <laughs> All right. So Chris is going to be headed up to Greensboro, uh, Winston-Salem area for us this week. Chris, safe travels. Do you have any dining plans anywhere that you, you want to hit up? Uh, yeah, in, in the next probably end up. I'm, I'm hoping to meet up with a couple friends that are staying in the same hotel. So if they're going somewhere, I may join them. You may be in the same hotel as FSU uh, football program. Rumor has it. Well. You patrol the hallways, make sure everyone's in their rooms, lights out, 10 p.m., doing what they're supposed to do, all right? Yes, yes. But if they do a walkthrough in the parking lot, I'll take video over. (laughs) For Chris D, I'm Brendan Sado. This has been On The Bench. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stick in the landing! Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 